Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Well, we want to welcome everyone today to a wonderful episode of Fantastic Opportunity we have to discuss 1 Corinthians, the scripture, uh, gender, the church, and all kinds of issues to kind of complement our study of 1 Corinthians. So we're very excited today. Unfortunately, Vinny Angelo is not going to be able to be with us today, so I apologize for that. But we have Carolyn Custis James with us. So Carolyn is an award-winning author who thinks deeply about what it means to be a female follower of Jesus in a postmodern world. She's a cancer survivor and is grateful to be alive and determined to address the issues that she feels matters most. Her speaking and writing ministry is dedicated to addressing the deeper needs and issues confronting both women and men as they endeavor to extend God's kingdom together in a messy and complicated world. Her books have been described as provocative, honest, and groundbreaking. I would add excellent to that. I've really enjoyed reading your stuff. She wrote in 2011, Half the Church, Recapturing God's Global Vision for Women, which was the 2012 Outreach Magazine Resource of the Year. In 2015, she published Maelstrom, M-A-L-E-S-T-R-O-M. Subtitle is Manhood Swept into the Currents of a Changing World which was 2016 Christianity Today's Book of the Year. Congratulations. And then in 2018, she published Finding God in the Margins, the Book of Ruth, which is a fantastic look at the Book of Ruth. And, and not, not too long or too weighty, whatever, but something I really encourage you to read through. Also, she has a number of other books also. She's currently an adjunct faculty member at Missio Seminary, just outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She's a consulting editor for Zondervan's exegetical commentary series on the New Testament. Uh, In 2013, Christianity Today named her one of the 50 evangelical women to watch. She speaks regularly at churches, conferences, colleges, and Christian organizations around the United States. And she blogs at carolinecustisjames.com, and we'll put all those links to her books and to her blog in the show notes so you guys can have access to them. So welcome, Carolyn. Thank you for being with us. Well, it's an honor. Thank you. You began your book, Half the Church, by talking about women uh, and girls in the church. And you, you mentioned that it grew out of your own story, how you were grappling with the narrative of what you were taught and what you thought was the biblical narrative of women and yet your own lived experience. Can you kind of help us understand what that is and how you got going with this? Well, I grew up in the church. My dad is, was a pastor. He's not living now, but he was a pastor, preached his first sermon as a teenager and his last in when he was 90. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, he just, that was his life. Um, we were, you know, our growing up was around scripture and um, I just never could get enough of it. I was the only daughter with three brothers. Mm-hmm. And I've often said, if I had been a fourth, a fourth brother, um, when I graduated from college, I would have gone straight to seminary and mm-hmm. on into ministry. Um, but that was never an option for me because okay. I was a woman. And but what I, you know, what I did hear from the church and from how my parents raised me was that um, I was that my mission in life was to be a wife and mother. Mm. And um, I had a 10-year decade of singleness after college Mm. that really knocked my legs out from under me because I, you know, it was sort of like, well, now what? Mm. (laughs) You know, I can't follow this roadmap. And those were years of struggle with God Mm. and with my understanding of what it 
means to be a woman. And it was like, can I miss, can I miss what God has created me to be? And um, that compelled me to, to see other women, you know, it's just, you know, women who never married. I knew some fantastic women. Some were missionaries, some were medical doctors, some were professors, you know, and they were deep into scripture and into ministry, but they, but they, you know, some of them never married ever. And, um, you know, just, it just made me start paying attention. We have a very narrow focus, you know, we're just looking at people we can see, and I wasn't looking beyond that, but you know, you start, you start hearing stories about women who are, who are divorced or never married or were abandoned or, or widowed or never had children or, you know, just the roadmap is inaccessible. Mm. And, you know, my, my understanding of the lives of women has experienced expanded you know thank god for people who write books that open our eyes to to the rest of the world and um so it made me ask questions it made me want to know if god's vision for his daughters is big enough for all of us wow. does it begin when we begin mm -hmm. does it last until that final breath or is it just a season of our lives? And is it does it hinge on certain things that we have, you know, criteria that we have to meet? Men have the same problem, right. you know. What does it mean to be a man? Well, you know, you've got to be the leader. You've got to be in charge. You've got to provide. You've got to protect. You've got to do all these things, you know. One of my best friends in, in the last couple of decades has been a man who was paralyzed from the time he was mm. 16. And what a great friend he was. He's a pastor. And, you know, he couldn't get himself out of bed in the morning. Right. You know, well, is he not a man? Right. Oh, yes. <laughs> he is a man. You know, but it just, I don't think we stress test some of the things we teach um, in mm. the church from all the different circumstances that the people you're preaching to are experiencing. Right. You know, so they're sitting there thinking, well, that isn't going to work for me. Right. Um, or I thought it did, but it got smashed somehow. Yep. And men have the same, you know, they hear themselves being left out too. Right. And so I wanted to ask bigger questions and I didn't want to leave anybody out. And I wanted to know, I started, my main questioning was for myself, but also, you know, this is impacting everybody, not just me. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to know if God's vision for his daughters was universal. Mm -hmm. Doesn't leave anybody out. Does it begin when we begin? And does it last until that last breath? Mm. And is it something that we can't, it's permanent. We can't lose it. Mm. You can't, you can't have it taken from you. You, you don't have to earn it. It's a birthright. Right. I want it. you know, those were the kinds of questions that I was asking. And I went back to the creation narrative right, and yeah. And that's where, you know, I, I had that criteria. Is it universal? 
We're not going to leave anybody out. This is mm -hmm. not just about church ladies. It's about little girls. It's about every girl child born in the world. Yeah. It's about elderly women. It's, um, it has been, it has been amazing to talk to women about this. Interesting. I mean, I have little girls in middle school that are absolutely fired up to live for Jesus and to do all that they can for him. Um, and elderly women who say, wow, I thought, I thought my story was over. I've had my 90th birthday and I'm asking God what he wants me to do with the oh, rest of awesome. my life. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, and they're telling me things that, you know, they've got assignments that they're getting, you know, that aren't little that they believe Jesus wants them to do in reaching out to other people and, you know, it is just mobilizing women and, mm. you know, you don't have to be a, in a seminarian or in church ministry, you know, because of who God created you to be everywhere you are is a kingdom frontline and we're scattered all over the world and God is working all over the world. And sometimes he's doing the biggest things in places nobody can see. Um, you know, the book of Ruth did that for me, that you have an, you have an undocumented immigrant and two women who are zeros in the culture because mm -hmm. you measure a woman's value by counting her sons right. and Naomi's sons died and Ruth has never gotten pregnant. Right. So, she, you know, she's barren. Right. After and 10 years, I've, I've studied a lot of the gospel, the book of Ruth, but when I read your book, I'm like, you know, I never even noticed the fact that. They were married for 10 years and living in Moab, she was barren. It wasn't yeah. just that her, her husband died before she had children. She was barren. So I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but and go ahead. There was, there, was, <laughs> yeah. there was no way to hide that. Yeah. You know, so when she, you know, is in the fields gleaning, it's not like, oh boy, this is a real catch. <laughs> right. You know, nobody's going to want, that would be dishonoring a man's family to marry a woman who was certifiably barren because right. producing sons is the family business. And that's what keeps the family alive for another generation. But you also so, noted, sorry, I wrote to you again, but you also noted in the book there also, but she's at risk too. Because she's barren, because she has no kids, because she has no husband, because Naomi has no husband, she's out there gleaning. It's, she's easy prey because there's oh no one to protect. Goodness. She has no protector. So yeah. in that culture, she's easily going to be taken advantage of. And so when Boaz says, don't lay a hand on her, right? Yeah, they would have. <laughs> they would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't. I mean, this is where pa the patriarchal system and patriarchal work cultures today yes help us understand the biblical narratives right, because right. often when I go speak somewhere, the first thing I say is when you pick up your Bible, you need to remind yourself you are not reading an American book. Yeah. yeah. You are, you are a foreigner to that world. We yeah. are the ends of the earth yeah. and, you know, we read our Bibles without understanding the culture that is the backdrop to that message right. but it's you know it's a culture that you know a woman must produce sons mm -hmm. for her husband and if she can't do that he's going to add a wife or two you know or a concubine and as, you know, as abraham oh, did and absolutely yeah. Yeah. and jacob oh hello <laughs> <laughs> A you know, biblical marriage is kind of a strange topic yes. actually Back to where yeah. I went for answers. Okay. 
I went to the creation narrative. I thought this is the only text that we have that's free fall. Right. Well, what I did was I had that criteria. It has to be universal. It has to be a birthright. It has to be something nobody can take away from you. And it has to be what's stated there. Mm -hmm. And what God does for women and for men is that he gives us the highest possible calling that there is. Mm. He names us to be his image bearers. He names us to participate in divine revelation that we are supposed, people are supposed to find out what God is like by rubbing shoulders with us. Okay. And we, our first calling and our most important calling is to know the God who created us to be like himself and to learn to see the world as he sees it. Well, he loves the world. You know, it's his creation and his masterpiece. And, you know, it's, he, he cares about what's happening in his world and, and he calls human beings, male and female to be his agents in advancing his kingdom on earth. We are, we are supposed to look after things on his behalf. We're his a team to do his work in the world and to explore the earth's resources, to yep. cultivate it and to, and to look after things on his behalf. And we are called to rule and subdue creation, not each other, but creation. Yes. And, and that's for flourishing. Yes. And, and we're told that we're called to rule and subdue. As his agents, we're we're to do it his way (laughs) and that we are to be fruitful and multiply, which gets reduced to procreation. But it's about living fruitful lives and it's Mm -hmm. about exploring the earth's resources and, you know, being adventuresome. I mean, it's it's Mm -hmm. a whole world to explore that he entrusts to us and. The creation of, of, so we are God's image bearers. We speak and act on his behalf. It's higher than feminism. It's higher than patriarchy. Leaves them in the dust because, you know, we speak for God. We act on his behalf. And we tell lies by how we live about who God is and how he cares for people. You know, when, when we are racist or when we discriminate or when we're judgmental of other Mm. people or, you know, have this pecking order of who matters and who doesn't, you know, that's Mm. not how God thinks. And so, and he calls male and female to do this together. Amen. He doesn't, he doesn't call men to do it and women to sort of show up with lunch. <laughs> you know, he calls us both to do it, to use all the abilities that we have for his kingdom. Hmm. And I call this the blessed alliance. Yes. That yes. it's not just, wouldn't it be nice if men and women could get along better or if a woman could be part of the group it's that men and women need each other to mm. do what god has called us to do right and that if we don't do it together that we're doing it 
that we're lame and how we do it, that the body of Christ is limping and really headed for the ER, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not a healthy body. Right. And I really see it as a stewardship issue. Mm-hmm. You know, how are we using our gifts and how are we, how are we together for the kingdom of God instead of for the kingdom of the local pastor or the local politician or whatever right. is how are we serving him? When the woman is created in Genesis two, I always felt left out of that because it gets talked about as the creation of marriage, hmm. but it, it but it oh. only it only addresses marriage in the last verse of, right. the, of the chapter in a very anti-patriarchal statement. Yeah, explain it says, that because that's you made a great point in your books. Explain why, what you mean by it's an anti-patriarchal statement. How well, so? it says, for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. Right. It doesn't in, say it the under, other way around. Under, under patriarchy. A woman becomes the property of her husband's family. Right. Happens all through scripture, happens today in countries around the world. Yeah. In fact, you know, some of the horror stories that we hear is how women are treated in patriarchal cultures when they marry and they go move in with the family and they can't produce a child and they get abused by their in-laws when i when we lived in um england when my husband was getting his doctorate there his defil i had two friends who were one was from pakistan and the other one was from india and um all of the north americans were you know just chomping at the bit to get home and missing Mm. our you know missing our families and wanting to be back in our in our native land. And these two women expressed to me their consternation at Mm. the thought of going back. And it was because they would come under the thumb of their mother-in-law. One of them had a PhD. I mean, she wasn't, Mm. and both of them were bright and they were breathing, you know, the fresh British air that just emancipated them. There was one Muslim woman who we would often see, racing down the streets, pushing a stroller with her baby and wearing the black burqa. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she she would always be wearing bright red shoes. Oh. <laughs> you know, sort of like, I'm, I can't say it, but I'm going to say it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah that, was, that was her way of speaking out. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it was just, it was, it was eye-opening to me. Mm. And you take their stories into scripture and you see how women suffered when they couldn't get pregnant. They suffer here when they can't get pregnant, Mm -hmm. but they're not punished or marginalized or abused because Mm. they can't get pregnant. I mean, everybody sort of enters into the grief. And um, so anyway, questions needed to be asked and I needed to ask big enough questions that these women would be part of the conversation too. And the creation of women in Genesis two was an eye opener for me. And I, and I came across it in my first book, the language that's used for the creation of the woman, Mm -hmm. she's taken out of the man. So she's not made out of something else. They're out of the same matter. Right. And, 
she's taken out of the man and God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. Hmm. He doesn't say when dinner comes, <laughs> you know, or when he wants to have children, he d- he's not reducing this to marriage. This is the creation mm-hmm. of the woman. Uh, you know, every girl child is in this text. This is who God creates his daughters to be. Right. And the Hebrew language for the woman is Azer Kanagdo. And the word Azer has been translated down through the years into English as the helper. And when I looked up that word in the Old Testament, I found it's used 21 times in the Old Testament as a noun. And 16 of those times it's used for God as a helper. He's Israel's helper. Yeah. When when they're in big trouble. Yes. You know, not over minor little details. Yeah, it's not a term of inferiority. It's a term of of Real coming help. alongside. It could be a superiority when it's referred to God, obviously. It's a rescue word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a word of strength. Mm-hmm. It's a word that is used for armies that Israel right. is appealing to for military aid when they're being overpowered. Mm-hmm. And it's used twice for the woman in Genesis 2. And what I discovered was that this is a word that, that um, Israeli families na- have named their sons Azer all through the years. It's in the Bible. There's one son in a genealogy whose name is Azer. And parents didn't name their sons. They didn't give their children names that would embarrass them. They gave them names that would cause them to rise up and embrace life and and live to the fullest. And Israel's president in the, the last century was Azer Wiseman. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say this. <laughs> My Pennsylvania license plate is Azer. And I just talked to a, a woman on another podcast who's from... New Jersey and New Jersey is now taken. <laughs> but mm. that's what you Azer, know. Azer is now taken in New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For the license plate. Oh. But, you know, it's a call to join the battle for God's kingdom. Exactly. It's not a call. If the woman is created for the man to take care of, to think for and act for and lead and protect and provide for, she's not help. She's more work right good and we point don't, yeah we don't talk about that yeah, but you look through the bible and there are many azer disruptions in scripture where women step up and they are the point person for what god is wanting to do especially time. the gospels of matthew mark luke and john right there you go yeah there and you acts, go yeah. it's yeah. extraordinary let me interject here that because i can see some people who might be thinking, well, that was Genesis 1 and 2, but Genesis 3 comes in. And I, we, I, we addressed Genesis 3 in a podcast, and I'll put that in the show notes if you want to listen to it, that that's not what's being described here, that male is going to rule the women. So that's the way it was in Genesis 1 and 2, but in Genesis 3, the man's going to rule. It's like, that's part of the curse. That's not the way God ordained it. But the other key thing I think to think about is, so some people also think, oh, well, in, in the new Jerusalem and in, in eternity, that'll, it'll all get settled. But right now, we just have to deal with things the way they are. And I think what you see in the New Testament is Paul coming in and Colossians in particular saying that God's restoring the Genesis narrative now and that we're already in the process. So what you're describing, Carolyn, as the way it was in Genesis is the way it's supposed to be in the church now, 
yeah. even though, even though it's not in the kingdom of God. This yeah. is what God the way. Well, the funniest story in the Bible is the story of Paul's missionary journey where he, where he gets this vision that disrupts his itinerary mm. and gets him to reschedule what he's doing and to go to Philippi because this vision from the Holy Spirit says, mm. come over to Macedonia and help us. Right. You know, well, think what he would have expected. Yeah, good point. Imagine what yeah. he would have expected when he got to Philippi, yeah. you know, that there would maybe be a synagogue full of men who were eager yeah. to hear this message or a stadium full, you know, and when he gets there, he can't find any men. He finds a group of women who are praying. Yeah. At the, by the river. Yep. Yeah. And so what does Paul do? He sits down and leads a woman's Bible study mm -hmm. and he gives them the same meat he's giving everywhere else. Mm. But the, the part that gets overlooked, this is why we need women interpreting scripture is in the letter to the Philippian church. Paul writes, I thank God every time I think of you from the first day until now. Mm. Who's he talking about? Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah. Who was there on the first day? Yeah, Lydia. Yeah. Lydia and a whole team. Yeah. You know, it was a the the first church in Europe was planted by Paul and a team of women. Yes. And we don't talk about that, but he didn't blink. Right. Paul, right. you know, I mean, we're talking about a former religious terrorist <laughs> sitting, putting it. sitting yeah, down. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was, he he was. was. Yes. sit down with a group of praying women, yeah. give them the gospel message yeah. and partner with them in the gospel. He's begging two women to get over their differences and get back to the team. And it's, Listen, we don't even see that. No, let me interject a good point here too. And that is because, when you're teaching, you, you're coming from your perspective. You're looking at the text, whether you're studying or from your perspective, and obviously as much as possible, we want to get beyond that as much as we can. And the more educated we are, the better we're able to do that. But there's still limits. And so if you're out there teaching or preaching or whatever, consult other people because they're going to give you insights and perspectives that you would never have thought of. So I, I'm a professor of New Testament. I never thought of, of what you just said with Paul's vision and, and, and Troas going over and meeting Lydia. But you get a, a woman's perspective or you get a, a single person's perspective or an older person's perspective or a younger person's perspective. And it can only enhance our ability to understand the text. And it also means that when you're preaching a sermon, be careful because people are hearing you from their own context and you may not recognize or even realize what you're saying into that context. Yeah, and that's why I think we really do a bad job of stress testing our theology. Mm -hmm. That's why when I sat down and read Half the Sky by right. Nicholas Kristof and Cheryl Wudun, that my eyes were open mm -hmm. to a bigger world and also to more help in understanding the word of God, mm -hmm. you know, because they live in that kind of a culture right. and they would hear you know, the things that are being said. And, you know, like one of the, one of the 
simplest examples of the power of patriarchy as a hermeneutical tool is to look at the story of Mary of Bethany seated at the feet of Rabbi Jesus. And hermeneutics, by the way, is just the science of interpretation. So as a, as a tool for right, okay, yeah. right. So when we look at that, mm -hmm. you know, we get the, the dullest sermons that you yeah. can imagine, you know, like, don't be so busy that you don't have your quiet time or, yes, yes. you know, excuse me, this is, she is a rabbinical student yes. when she sits at his feet. She's a student take, rabbi by sitting at the feet of the rabbi. Take her story mm -hmm. to Malala Yousafzai, mm. who got shot by a Taliban terrorists right. for wanting to help little girls get an education right yeah and, and the, jesus is fighting for that you know yes. and and i really believe when you look at the the gospels and the rest of mary and martha's story that martha joined her sister yeah. that whole story is about jesus talking to martha and saying this is the most important thing yeah sitting at my feet as a student she's yeah. she's not going to go back into the kitchen and jesus knows how to feed lots of people <laughs> and he taught yeah. us how to feed us feed them too yeah, yeah. he'll help he'll yeah. help you, you watch the news these days and the reports coming out of afghanistan and the taliban are just unbelievable and there's a, a undercover reporter that just report, gave a report about women under the taliban and again we sometimes too often or we too often think that's out there. It's not in our churches. It's not in our communities. And you mentioned at the beginning, and if you don't want to answer this question, you don't have to, but it's okay, that if you were a fourth son of your father, you would have immediately went to seminary, but that wasn't an option. Now, my PhD is from Westminster Seminary, and women were not allowed in the MDiv program. They can go in the PhD program, but they couldn't go in the MDiv program because they were not allowed to be ordained in the primary denomination associated with Westminster. Tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. And you're because this is this is at home now. This is in our churches. Women can't be in ministry and, and struggle, or they can't go to get ordained and things of that nature. Yeah, I think we were all ordained in Genesis one and two. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really for me. It has become a stewardship issue. Jesus has told us this the the parable of the talents. And when I stand before Jesus, you know, Wayne Grudem, John Piper, you know, John MacArthur are not going to show up to explain why it was important for me to keep my mouth shut and not do anything. Mm. You know, and I'd rather be explaining to Jesus why I did too much than why I did too little. Well, I'm goodness. sorry, but we owe it to him. Amen. So for me, it's a bigger issue than, you know, what verse are you talking about? Right, right. And for me, I start with Genesis 1 and 2, and that's the vision. Genesis 3 is the description of a total collapse right. of what God had in mind for us. This is not good news. This is not the gospel. And you can say that the man was created first, but she was created created out of him. So she was already there. Well, you and looked at scripture, by the way, and there's a wonderful podcast. I don't know if you listened to it the, the, called the Bible project, but it's, it's like, it's second to this podcast, but I recommend it for everyone. And they're doing a series right now, currently, the Bible Project podcast on the firstborn and how, how the, you know, the firstborn has the privileges. 
Yet throughout the scripture, throughout the biblical story, it's the second born or someone thereafter that always gets the privilege of the firstborn. So the idea of, well, Adam was made first, therefore he's the firstborn. It's like, that's just never the way it works. I mean, David no. was the seventh born and yeah. you know, Judah, the king of, you know, he was the fourth born son and all the stories. Joseph the was 11. Yeah, he was number 11. Yeah, and Joseph <laughs> he and really Judah. Is, are the, yes. He really is the, the, the firstborn son in, in Jacob's mind. And when they divide the land, he gets two territories. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So it's, yep. you know, he gets the double you can't read through Genesis and leave primogeniture in, intact. Right. Primogeniture is a lot of All the way through Genesis, yeah. it's God is God doesn't play by patriarchy's rules. Yeah, even when Joseph anoints, sorry, uh, Jacob anoints Ephraim and Manasseh, he crosses his arms and he anoints the second born as the firstborn. And, and yeah. it sounds like Joseph's like, no, father, this is once the firstborn. He's like, I know but I'm ordaining the second one as with the rights of the firstborn. So even in Manasseh, our, their order is actually even changed by Jacob. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and it excellent. keeps going. It keeps going. <laughs> yeah, like you said, David. Yeah. And it, yeah, God doesn't play by those rules. Right. And what happens in what happens in Genesis 3 is that the Azer is demoted. And her job now under patriarchy is to produce sons mm -hmm. and not daughters. You know, I mean, Jacob had Dinah and you just, you don't hear anything really about her and she's not included in the inheritance or the blessings mm -hmm. that come. And evidently he had other daughters, but when you read scripture, you see that Asia coming, God bringing her out and giving her, responsibility and entrusting her to kingdom initiative patriarchy is a is a burden for men and it's something they have to earn and it's something they can and most will lose right you know old age <laughs> or yeah. health problems or financial problems, or losing your job, or everything puts your manhood it's and at under threat. Mm. And you know that isn't the way it works in God's purposes. You're right. you're one of His image bearers. And when Jesus came, you know we're told He was the perfect Imago Day. So we need to be looking at Jesus between Christmas and Easter yes, yes. and see how he lived and what kinds of things mattered to him yes. and how he treated people and, and emulate him. We're right. supposed to follow Jesus and the As biggest... his image bearers, make, making him known by doing what he does. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that you see happening in the early church on that note is the fact that the church is leading the way in so many social issues, rescuing children that were abandoned to the trash heaps, uh, orphanages and places for widows. And when the church leads in these issues and in, the, in these causes, it magnifies Christ, makes him known, exalts the Lord. And, it, and it's what we're doing as his image bearers. Now, and before you comment on that, let me make one more note. We haven't said anything at all about ordaining women to be pastors in churches here. We're just simply talking about affirming women within the context of the local church, within the context of our homes, as co-heirs with Jesus, as members of the firstborn of the assembly that Jesus has begun, as uh, equals within the, the covenant community. That 
we can address later. I've done it before, and I'm not sure even what your views are. And I think you actually have stated in your book that you don't answer that question, what your view on, on women ordination is. But, but so speak to this a little bit, that what we're talking about here is that the role of the church uh, is to rest, recognize the situation that women are in throughout the world, and as well as even in our local churches, and to, to manifest Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in and incarnated in our churches. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things that I learned from reading um, N.T. Wright's book about Jesus, and I'm rereading it now, is that he talks about the transfiguration of Jesus and he, and he links it to the, the, the pillar of fire and the fire that comes to the tabernacle because God has arrived mm. and this is where he dwells. This is his temple. So that when Jesus, when you have the transfiguration, it, it is the same kind of symbolism mm. that this is where God's spirit dwells in this male body that is Jesus. And when I read that, I thought, oh, my goodness, Acts 2. Yeah. When the fire, and, and I never understood what those little flames were that came on the people yeah. when the spirit of God arrived. But that's the same thing is that now we are the temple. Yes. We are the place where God's spirit lives. Yes. And there is responsibility that comes, heavy responsibility that comes yeah. as, you know, this is the recovery of God's Imago Dei in us yes. through God's spirit living in the church, whatever that means, you know, because <laughs> not all the church is the church, you know, but it's human beings that are his body who come together to do his work in the world. And it's and it's everything. It's what we do when we go to work in the morning in mm. the business or the whatever we do, the, the hospital or the the school or the neighborhood or just the little kids we're taking care of at home. Everywhere we are is a kingdom front line right. and we are God's temple yeah. where he dwells. And there's heavy responsibility that yes. comes with that. Yes. In and, the book and, of Revelation, I'm sorry, in the book of Revelation, the two witnesses have fire coming out of their mouths. Yeah. So even their word manifests God and his presence. Well, yeah. It's so wonderful to tie it all together. Yes, isn't it? Isn't it? And, yeah. you know, I grew up in a system that kind of broke it into pieces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. I think me too. And, well, and, and we're not talking about having setting up the ideal church. That's not going to happen until the end, mm. but we're still supposed to strive, strive for that. Hey, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for being part of us. And I don't think we finished. So if you don't mind, are we going to be able to come back next week and kind of finish this conversation? Well, I don't know if we can finish anything. Yeah, but good point. Yes, but Continue I would the conversation. love to. I would uh, love to. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm still learning yeah. too. So. Yeah, especially because <laughs> your work also focuses upon men and, and how this affects men. And I think we want to get to that part of the conversation. Yes, also. So yes. We'll do that next week. All right. Thanks okay. everyone for turning in. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.